Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message to all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality. Those that are new, I want to make you aware that you can go to my website at ultimatemeaning.com where there is a flip book which I have written by the gifting of the Spirit of God that has very original writing with lots of print that is highlighted in red, which are links to very profound and amazing YouTube videos that confirm the reality of what I am sharing from many fields of science and archaeology. What am I sharing about? The ultimate manifestation and perfection of love, who is the one true eternal God. In the Old Testament, there's two names in the King James Bible, the Lord God. That's often used in that order. Usually those two names in that order mean, the first one means Yahweh, referring to the one true eternal God, the I am that I am, that is separate and above and beyond creation. And the second word, God, and the original is Elohim, meaning literally in English, the Almighty's plural, referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And yes, we believe in only one God, but he is in three personages. Because for you to rule, or for one to rule, I should say, in the three ultimate aspects of existence, it is necessary to be in three personages. What am I talking about? I'm talking about ruling beyond the creation realm, beyond time and space, as what is known as God the Father, Father meaning originator, source. Jesus Christ is the full expression of the Father, as described in Hebrews 1.3. That's what the word son means. That's what the word word means. That is in the creation realm. So we got beyond the creation realm, in the creation realm as the Son, God fully expressed. So there you are in personage again, because in whatever realm you're in, you must be in conscious intelligence to rule in it. In other words, in personage to rule in it. And the third aspect is omnipresence as the Holy Spirit, filling all dimensions of creation and time and space and also beyond with the Father. And so there is one God in three personages. So today I want to share with you how I share these messages briefly. The Word of God says in 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. We are to seek when we come together as believers to all be edifying one another and to speak as the oracles of God. In other words, to allow the Spirit of God to speak out of us beyond what is within our natural mind and heart. There's another verse that gives greater understanding on this. In Revelations 19.10, we read, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God in spirit and in truth, out of a heart 
that is deeply in love with God out of humility and reverence. We are filled with his spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves that results in creative utterances that can come forth, that are as the oracles of God or that are prophetic in the sense that what is coming out of us is coming as words from the Spirit of God. This might be in the form of a testimony or an exhortation or a song or even a prayer. That is a prayer to God and at the same time can be a message to the people in that prayer. And so I will seek, as that verse indicates, to speak prophetically out of a heart set and mindset of worship because that's how it happens. Elijah called for a minstrel to play before him before he gave a prophetic word to the kings that were facing a great crisis. I believe it's in 2 Kings 3.15. I'm here this day to share with you what I've received for Monday to the body of Christ. And I facilitate this even more so by casting lots to get two chapters from the Bible using two independent random applications. Now, one must do this with great reverence in a loving and a heart, loving heart relationship with God where you're right with God. Not everyone may be called to do this. And if you do it and you're just doing it in an irreverent way and not walking close with God, it will not work. You may as well call it divination. What I am doing is something that is very scriptural that was done frequently in the Old Testament, practiced very much. It was also used by the early church to choose one of the apostles. It was used very powerfully by powerful movements of revival, such as the Moravians, who even chose their own wives that way. So I want to share with you the two chapters I received. I just spent a half an hour meditating on those two chapters, and then I give the message as I am today. I also choose a song by the casting of Lot. This time I did get a song, but I, I'm very fussy. The tunes have to be really good and the words and the music because I want these songs I choose to be on an overhead projector. You can see them all on my website. Go to my website, loverealize.com. There you can see around a hundred songs now Worship songs taken by the casting of Lot that are very exceptional and good from throughout church history and from the powerful movement that was happening in China with Watchman Nee. He was martyred in 1972. And so there's many beautiful songs from there as well. And you will find these songs are exceptional with violin and flute and so on and beautiful uh, group of people singing them. Okay, let's just go ahead. Today I didn't choose the song because I couldn't get a good one, so I just chose one from the playlist that I thought would be appropriate, although I will say the words that I got were good from the songbook, the songbook of 1,080 hymns from Lifestream Ministry. Um, I could read some of the verses. They are appropriate, but I will forbear I'm just going to um, get into the message and we'll go into the worship song now. So here is the wonderful worship song that we read.
How wonderful, how wonderful is the salvation we have that Christ liveth in us. It says in the word of God that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may grow up into him and it goes on. Yes, Often we experience that very subjective inner dwelling presence of God. But there can be times when it doesn't seem like we sense him in us. But then is the time when our faith is being exercised. And those roots are going deeper. It's like resistance when you do a workout. 
That's what brings the enlarging. It is the trials. It is the tests. And I want to share with you the two passages I received today by the casting of Lot before Yahweh, the Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Today I received 1 John chapter 5 and Habakkuk 2. And both of these chapters have a very common theme in it. And that common theme is faith to overcome the Antichrist spirit in the world, which is a spirit of idolatry. Both of these chapters talk about idolatry. Both of these chapters talk about faith. And they both are talking about overcoming the spirit of the world, the Antichrist spirit in the world that is behind that adultery, and they describe it. First of all, I want to go to 1 John. That's what I received first by the casting of Lot. And so we will read and I will just speak whatever God by his spirit would want to say to the body of Christ in this hour of such grave crisis in the world. It says, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that is begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. Now, I could share a lot on this verse, and maybe I will here. First of all, this is talking about a faith. The word pistis, which basically in the Greek means moral persuasion, it is persuasion in who God could only possibly be in order to be ultimately trustworthy. Now, this may not be intellectually grasped by most people, but it is what the heart is believing and saying. And that is a moral persuasion in who God could only be to be ultimately trustworthy, to be able to contain unlimited authority, power, and life without being corrupted by it or using it in a corrupt way, and thus only the one that could possibly be the source. A moral persuasion in Yahweh. Now, Jesus Christ is also called Yahweh. And I want to clarify this first. Because we read in Genesis 18 that Abraham is at his tent door, probably on his face before God in prayer. And he looks up and maybe about 10 feet before him, there's 10 men standing there. They don't look like they're just ordinary men. He probably perceived they were more than just ordinary men. He recently had a visitation, I think, just recently before this as well. And so he comes to them and bows before them and says, I want to make you a really wonderful meal. And, and they do eat with him. All three of them eat with him. And he addresses one of them as Yahweh, the most sacred name for the one true eternal God, also described as the I am that I am. That is who Christ said that he was in the New Testament. I am, referring to Yahweh the one true God. Yes, Jesus Christ is fully God manifest in the flesh. He is the expression. The word son means expression. Another word is the word word means expression. Basically, Jesus Christ is the full expression of the one true God, the ultimate perfection and manifestation of love. 
And so in the Old Testament, those that truly rightly perceived God and not in an idolatrous way because of the deception and the twistedness of their heart, those ones that genuinely perceived God saw in the Father those qualities that are also in the Son, and so they also could come to the Son. And of course, it's often described by the psalmist. It's seen, as I told you, there in Genesis 18 and other places in the Word of God. And so Christ said, whoever has been taught and has been learned of the Father comes to the Son. Because when you really know the Father, you are seeing in the Father the Son. But the Son is the full expression of God to us in a limited creature level, a more personal level. It is even the case in heaven. I'm writing a book on the evidence of life after death, a book on the afterlife, let's put it that way. It's very in-depth to expose a lot of deception that has come out of that. But uh, that is something so wonderful. Uh, to be able to rightly perceive God. That was the problem that Cain had. He got his focus on the consequences of God's judgment. God is very severe in the integrity of his love. His love has integrity. It is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to love. Love being that quality that always chooses the highest lasting good. Anything less than choosing the highest lasting good would obviously have a measure of corruption in it. God has no corruption. His love is totally pure. It will not tolerate what is contrary to love, which is corrupt and destroys goodness. Love is the opposite of corruption. It ensures a destiny in heaven where there is no corruption. And from this foundation springs forth the greatest manifestation of love, love in its ultimate expression, that God's love is so great that from it was always in the quality of his being to be able to condescend and suffer more than you, a mere creature, and humble himself more than you, a mere creature, and love you so much that if you were the only one he created, he would have went to the cross for you. And they know that in heaven. And this happens over and over again, that they know they feel such a powerful love that they know that if they were the only ones God created, God would have done that for them. They, I can't go into that for time. But it is so edifying and amazing to describe how great God's love is towards us that enter heaven. That enter into a relationship with him. That choose to make that choice. I want to go on here. So everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and keep his commandments, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. We don't keep them out of religious duty. And it says here, whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. You see, the verses before are talking about God's love. 
And that if we have that love, we are his children. It is also true that when we really have God's love, we are born of God. We come to a place where we are brought forth anew of God. And I can't get into that in depth here. But people were born of the Spirit from the very time of Adam till now. Christ expected Nicodemus to know that people were born of God before he died on the cross. People experienced conversion from the beginning of time. Enoch had such a close relationship with God that he was translating. There was always people. Everyone could always, from the beginning, from the time of Adam, know a true relationship with God the Father. And God the Son, although not manifested in fullness at that time before Christ. The difference between then and now is that after Christ died on the cross, the soul and the spirit could be cleansed so that there could be not only the Holy Spirit dwelling with their soul and spirit, but indwelling, the very saturation, the imbuing of God's presence, the baptism of God's presence indwelling us. That's the difference. But it says, for ye know him in John 14, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So they knew God. They knew the Father. Those that are born of God again are those that perceive or see God aright in their heart, with the eye of their heart. They are born again of the Spirit. And when the Spirit of God dwells with you or indwells you, it's, well, when you're born again, it's like your spirit opens up from a fist to an open hand and says, I surrender and recognize I need your mercy. And then the other hand that comes against that hand is an open hand representing the Holy Spirit. Now that hand cannot close. And there's a new divine nature. And so the Spirit dwelt with them and they had a new divine nature in the Old Testament as well. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So our faith is our moral persuasion in who God is. That is like that hand that is opened up and the Spirit of God has come to dwell now, indwell us. And before dwelt with, in both cases, there is a new nature that comes forth by God, dwelling by His Spirit with us. He that overcomes the world is he that believes that Jesus is the, actually, it, you could say, the one and only expression of God. There is only one Son of God, and it is Jesus Christ. I can see that this message will, could be a really long message, but I want to go on here. This is he that came by, wa by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. The Holy Spirit is truth. What is truth? God is truth. There is another passage where it says that in the New Testament. So truth, what is truth? Truth is, if you look it up in dictionaries, it'll say it's that which is real or reality. Well, what is reality? Reality is 
that which, if you look it up in dictionaries, is indestructible, immovable. It is the love that I was talking about. That is the source of reality. It is this love that is so pure. That is the holiness of God, the defensive aspect of the being of God's love. It is a quality that can contain unlimited power, authority, and life without being corrupted thereby, thus indicative of being the very source. Yes, the Spirit of God, Yahweh, God is a spirit. The Almighty is a spirit, Yahweh. Yahweh the Son, Yahweh the Father, Yahweh the Holy Spirit. And that spirit is reality. And the word Yahweh basically means I am that I am reality. And the source of that reality is love. And that is what I know from all the people that are genuine Christians that have been verified by medical equipment and doctors to have been genuinely dead when they entered heaven. They all describe the same thing, that the source of everything is this intense love and light that is coming forth, which is God. God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, they experience those three aspects. And there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit in the original Greek, or Holy Ghost in the King James. And these three are one. These three are one. Because there is only one true eternal God, not three gods. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit and the water and the blood. So the Holy Spirit bears witness in our spirit, bears witness with water baptism, even with Christ the dove ascended, and often in water baptism there is a strong witness, and the blood, bears witness with the blood. You sense the Spirit of God and His grace just outpoured on you when you're pleading for His blood to cleanse you if you've sinned and you're confessing your sin or if you've just been born again. Now, I want to go to Habakkuk because I want to get that in here. So he that has the Son has life and he that does not have the Son of God does not have life. What does that mean? That's a little further on down here. He that believeth on the Son of God hath a witness in himself. He that believeth not, God hath made him a liar. Because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. Yes, we have the record now. And why would we not want to believe that God's love is that great? That would be limiting the greatness of God. I believe in a God that is ultimately trustworthy. Anything less would not be an ultimate trustworthiness, worthy to be who God is, which is the Almighty's, the one that is unlimited in authority, power, and life. He that has the Son has life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And in the Old Testament, they also had the Son because they had the revelation. And in that revelation, because the word name basically means the expression of who one really is to someone else, if you look it up in the Hebrew. 
the authentic expression of who you really are to someone. And so, he that has the Son has life, and he that has not the Son of God has not life. When you believe and rightly see the expression of who God is to you, that his love is totally pure, totally trustworthy, not like Eve that bought into the doubt of Satan and then began to perceive God as less than ultimately trustworthy. That is the genuine fear of God. It is a choice to recognize the reality, the ultimate reality, who is Yahweh, the I am that I am. Now, I want to go into Habakkuk here and show you how that fits in with all of this. And so we're going to go now to the book of Haggai. Habakkuk, hopefully I get there to the right. And there's certain verses here that stand out in Habakkuk that I have put down here. It says in Habakkuk 2.4, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Now this is describing the Antichrist spirit that was in the king of Babylon. Or whatever king that was threatening the nation of Israel at that time. It's saying that his soul is lifted up or is proud and that there's no uprightness in him. And the contrast to that state of being is that the just live by faith or moral persuasion in who God could only possibly be. But when a person is proud and they don't have uprightness, a person that genuinely fears God must be upright. If you have the genuine fear of God, you have to be totally who you really are with yourself, honest with yourself in the light of who God is. And when you are, you become undone like Abel and realize you need the mercy of God, not like Cain, who wrongly perceived God, who had an idolatrous perception of God because he perceived him as because his focus was and he became bitter unthankful because of all the consequences of God's holiness, he lost sight of the fact that the integrity of God's love was good or the holiness of God's love, its severity against sin, was good. It ensured that there could be true goodness, beauty. Worship God and the beauty that comes out of holiness, it says in the word of God. And so here in Habakkuk, we see the contrast. And we go on and we read here in 2.5, Yea, also because he transgresseth by wine, he is a proud man. You know, you want to medicate yourself and make yourself um, insular, so to speak, from the reality around you. You don't want to face that reality. You're going, you're hiding. You're going into a fetal state by drinking wine. You're desensitizing yourself so that you become your own reality, so to speak, at the cost of pain to others. And so you allow a hell in your heart that's creating a hell around you. But the word of God says that where your heart is, there is your treasure also. So if your heart is in the temporal lying vanities of this world, when those crumble, you will crumble. And the enemy will use that as a manipulative bait to manipulate you into a path 
that will destroy your life and rob you. We go on and we read, he is a proud man. Again, it's a state of pride. Wine brings pride when you're insular. Neither keepeth at home who enlargeth its desire as hell and is as death and cannot be satisfied, but gathereth unto him all nations and heapeth unto him all people. So he's killing all these people just so he can have all this wealth and, and glory and have people looking up to him. He comes in. Antichrist. That's the way the Antichrist will be in the last days. Behold, it is not of the Lord of hosts that the people is. And then there is this in Habakkuk, verse 13. Behold, is it not of Yahweh of hosts that the people shall labor in the very fire and the people shall weary themselves for very vanity? You see what God's plan is in the world? People are all caught up living for the things of the world. And they're more concerned about their survival and doing these things than they are in their relationship with God. And so they fail to seek him. And so they are brought to a place where all their labor that they thought was going to give them their nice little heaven on earth for their own little insular world falls apart. That's what happens in the last days. So the Antichrist comes on the scenes and he said, well, I'll give you everything, but you got to fall down and worship me. That's where the issue comes. We cannot serve God and mammon. And a person that's truly born again of the Spirit will pay the price to put the kingdom of God first. It's a choice, and you must make the choice who you will serve. And in that choice, it is a choice that comes out of a right perception of God. Otherwise, all you have someone like Cain trying to appease someone that is perceived as all-powerful, like a kind of a dictator. That's not who we perceive God as. We perceive God as the very source of love, of a love so beyond our comprehension that we should be just all caught up with the desire to worship him because he is the very source of life. This love is the source of reality. It's the source of life. I see my time is going on. And then it says this, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. Speaking of the last days, when the Lord sets up his kingdom upon the earth, and it describes in many places in Isaiah elsewhere, and in Revelations about the great earthquake when he returns, the Mount of Olives splits in half. I have in my book on life after death, a Jewish lad that died at 15 and saw the Mount of Olives splitting in half, Israel fighting the nations for two days, and then they were completely de defeated and destroyed. But they couldn't take Jerusalem. And God came down there, and the Mount of Olives split in half. And before it, and he didn't even know about this Old Testament prophecy, he saw two men rise in front of the Mount of Olives, one on one side and the other. And then after that, the Lord came. That's the two prophets in Revelation. The Lord is returning, brothers and sisters, for those that are totally sold out to God. Do you want to end up with nothing but an idol in your life 
that can do nothing to help you? Do you want to be, end up like the pillar that turned to salt? Because they look back on the world like Lot's wife. So that your life just became lifeless like a stone, like an idol. That's what it describes here in Habakkuk. That they were in bondage to idols that had no breath. It says in 1 John that we were reading in the last verse, little children, keep yourselves from idols. The spirit of the Antichrist is idolatrous. And God is calling us as his people in this hour to be the body of Christ he's called us to be. And that means to be living a holy life that comes out of the genuine fear of God, which is rightly perceiving the love of God, which is a moral persuasion of faith in who God really is. God is love and faith works by love. It's when we rightly perceive who God is that our faith grows. It's a reciprocation out of the fear of God that involves this interaction between faith and love. God is calling us as his people in this hour to be those that wake up I've written a book called God, Headship, and Body Invasion, which is an outline with a lot of small paragraphs. There's a lot in it. It goes for 270-odd pages of outline showing everything is a corporate body that you can do in your church to come into the new order that God is calling you to come into under the fullness of the headship of Christ. There's no time to limit the headship of Christ in our midst. We must allow the head to fully inhabit the body. For Christ to be fully married to us as a corporate assembly, we should be moving in the gifts of the Spirit. Each member of the body should be facilitated to function in the gifts of the Spirit. It should be a house of prayer and of holiness. There should be awe and reverence and great liberty and joy as well as tears and brokenness and humility and a true circumcision of the heart. God is calling us to wake up in these last days so that the streams that have been in the different denominations come together into one rich, glorious manifestation of the glory of Christ in John 17, as he has prayed that it would be. It is the zeal of his heart that there be a great harvest because we repent of being denominative and facilitate everything to come into that oneness in these last days of God's love for him and for one another and to be impelled by that love to go forth with the good news of the gospel and conquer our nations. God is calling you as an individual and us and when we cry out to him, surrender our lives. He will come in. He will dwell in our midst and the greater works will begin to happen and we will walk in his authority brothers and sisters and we will be fearless we will know that even if we are tortured that god will give us the grace to face it to bring us through some of the people when they died came out of their body before they died and saw the, their body still struggling one woman with a horse that was crushing her she came out of her body god didn't even let her experience the pain yes god is good and he knows how much we can bear 
because he wants in the end to give us the best. So let's have uprightness and faith. Let's have the genuine fear of God and wake up. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to this message.